Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Learning. I'm Sarah Gallo, an Associate Editor at Training Industry, here with my co-host, Taryn Aish, Managing Editor of Digital Content at Training Industry. This episode of the Business of Learning is sponsored by the State of the Leadership Training Market, a new report from Training Industry. Are you evaluating leadership development providers and looking for a guide on how to select the perfect partner or benchmarking your investments in leadership training? The new Training Industry Research Report, the State of the Leadership Training Market, has all the insights necessary to keep you and your business primed for success. With market segment intelligence derived from more than 15 years of corporate training, marketplace analysis, and sizing, the State of the Leadership Training Market shares data on an adaptive and innovative sector of the market. It also provides exclusive information on changes in the market due to COVID-19 to help you make up-to-the-minute informed decisions. To download your copy, visit store.trainingindustry.com and use the discount code PODCAST for 10% off the State of the Leadership Training Market. Once again, visit store.trainingindustry.com and use the discount code PODCAST. Leadership can make or break organizational success. In a crisis, this is even more true. Companies need their leaders to guide them through these turbulent times and into the future. To learn more about leading during a crisis, we're speaking with Maureen Metcalf, Chief Executive Officer of the Innovative Leadership Institute and host of the podcast, Innovative Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Maureen, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for including me in your esteemed podcast. Thank you. Uh, To get started, why don't you explain how leading during a crisis looks different from leading during more normal times? So I base most of my responses on the developmental theory that was developed and refined by Bob Keegan at Harvard, Suzanne Cook-Greuter, Bill Torbert. So as I'm making reference to these things, it, it is based on significant research data, not just my opinion. So the kind of leadership that has been successful and has gotten us to where our country is and where the world is, has worked at more of a traditional leadership level that Torbert writes, calls in his Harvard Business Review article, The Achiever. What we're seeing now is under this crisis, that leadership breaks down and he's done extensive research on the leadership that they call, he and they, the researchers call strategist, and it goes by several different names that we don't need to get into. But their research shows that under times of significant change, this later stage of leadership called the strategist is able to implement changes that stick. So successive transformations not only get through the crisis, but those changes are able to be sustained by the organization. With that in mind, you know, during economic times like these, achieving business results is more important and more difficult than ever. So what skills do leaders need to, to be that kind of leader that will not only survive but thrive during a crisis? So I'm going to call out seven specific competencies, and these are both mindsets and behaviors. Uh, and, and again, these are based on the strategist competency model. And I'm going to walk through an example of Dr. Fauci just to illustrate. And this, I realize any figure I would select at this moment 
is politically charged. This isn't a political statement. It's just, if I picked my grandmother, no one knows her, right? So we can talk about someone that we see in the media. So seven competencies. The first is professionally humble. And this is more focused on getting right results than getting notoriety. And, and so let me step back for a second. And in times of uncertainty, the traditional view of leaders being, I know the right answer and, I, and I'm going to set the course and help everyone get there, again, breaks down because we are in a point specifically with the pandemic that most people who are leading now weren't alive during the last significant pandemic. Right, so we have people alive during the AIDS crisis, but not a pandemic like we have now. So leaders are in a new place where we can't just look to what happened last time we went through it and pull out best practices. So this idea of being professionally humble, I don't have the right answer. I, I need to act like a scientist. And scientists, the, the distinction is traditional leaders have the answer and they lead. Scientists know they don't have the answer, but they're good scientists. So I can formulate a well thought out hypothesis. I can create an experiment. We implement that. We learn from it. And then we take the next experiment, right? So, so part of the key is it's about being a good experimenter rather than being the person with the answer. So that's part of where the humility comes in. It is I can engender a level of confidence because I have a path forward to find the answer, not because I personally have the answer. So I think that's one distinction. Unwavering commitment to right action. So traditional leaders often led because they had uh, large egos and that worked. So we think of some of the charismatic leaders that we have been taught that that's what good leadership looks like. Again, in times of crisis, what I wanna know is the person I'm following is committed to right outcome, not covering mistakes. So again, this, this idea of we don't have the right answer, I don't have to cover up by making mistakes. We all know we're going to make decisions with insufficient information. There's gonna be as good as the science is today. And we're going to find out they were wrong as we go forward. But again, doing nothing is not the answer. So I have to take the smallest incremental steps I can take, continue to build the science, take the next incremental step. And not just in medicine, but as we're watching the pandemic and we're in the midst of, do we open schools or not open schools? There's no good answer, right? Leaving kids at home isn't going to be helpful. Putting them in schools and having them exposed to the virus, not helpful. So, so we are in a no good answer situation. How do we take the smallest step, learn as much as we can and be open to and willing to correct course pretty often until we get through this situation? Third is 360 degree thinker. So it's no longer good enough for me to think about my task or my process. I'm looking across the systems. And again, let's use the example of kids in school. I have to think about the impact of underserved communities where parents count on the school system, especially if they don't know how to teach their kids how to learn online. Other parents who they can't afford childcare, right? They, they have built a budget and they're 
already making the trade-off between school clothes, school supplies, and food, and now they have to get daycare. So, so really tough situations. As leaders in our community, they need to be thinking about all of that. And again, long-term implications of now it looks like children who are infected are less likely to die, but they may have long-term health implications, including potentially breathing challenges and potentially cognitive challenges. So big implications of making a mistake, right? All the way around. So I have to be a, a more of a systems thinker. I have to be intellectually versatile, which supports the systems thinker piece. I have to have a growth mindset. I have to be intentionally curious and gathering information that is uncomfortable to me. I have to be willing to be proven wrong, right? So I'm, I am continually learning, not just in my field, but a lot of tangential areas, again, to support the idea that I'm not just making a decision immediately related to my field, but ripples through everything I do. The next gets more into the, the who am I versus the tasks I do. And it's highly authentic and reflective. So if I am authentic with my people, I am willing to say we made mistakes. I'm willing to say I don't have the answer, but we will figure it out. It's not I'm clueless and I'm of no value as a leader, but I am the expert in this field. We haven't done this before. Here are the resources we need to pull together. We're going to again, conduct the experiment. And then the reflective is, I have to be willing to admit I made a mistake and willing to admit when we are making a mistake, be more, more genuine. And that that does not mean I share everything. Nobody wants to hear everything that goes on in my head. No one wants to hear everything that goes on in other people's heads. It's the appropriate amount of information that I can still inspire and motivate people and not be a jerk, right? So, so there's, a, there's still a line. And the next is able to inspire. So how do I build trust? How do I understand where people are struggling, meet them where they are, and genuinely demonstrate care? You know, especially right now, people are scared, people are having issues with depression, people are just struggling to how to get through the day and, and make sure that they care for their their families or their communities or they can have enough food on the table right so so part of inspiring people is that i understand where they're coming from and do my best to meet them and help them address the challenges they're facing with true care and that again gets back to the authentic and reflective that we are all dealing with some sort of difficulty during this crisis, some certainly more than others. And then the last is innately collaborative. So look for ways to gather the information, test my own thinking. So, so collaboration means inviting people into the conversation who look at issues differently than I do. Back to, I'm no longer the expert who knows everything. I need to be talking to people who question my thinking, raise information I, or perspectives that I had not considered. And then back to this authentic and reflective, I have to be able to say, okay, I hadn't thought about that or I didn't understand that. 
how do I integrate different points of view? And again, that builds on the humility. I can't think I know everything because if I do, then I don't need to collaborate. We'll just do it my way. And under times of extreme uncertainty, like we're having now or disruption, none of us have all of the answers. We need things like the coronavirus task force, right? That there are different points of view. And again, it's not a political statement. It's we need groups of people targeted to address specific issues. And then those of us running businesses or nonprofits or community organizations have to leverage all of that knowledge and mirror the kind of experimentation mindset because we're going to be course correcting a lot. And if as a leader, I think I have all the answers, I immediately am doing damage to my organization because I miss the, the learning. Thanks, Maureen, for that. I, I especially resonated with the part you mentioned about, you know, right now, no one has all the answers. These are really unprecedented times for everyone. And, and all we can do is have that understanding and, and care for others during this time. Next off, could you maybe describe the action logic competency model that you discuss in your book, Leadership 2050? How can this model set leaders up for success during these trying times? So the term action logic is an interesting term, and it really is about the model I just described is the action logic competency model. It can look like behaviors, right? I remember that I'm supposed to be humble and I'm supposed to have a commitment to right action and I'm supposed to be a systems thinker. Underlying that is the idea that this is actually my mindset, not just my behavior. And we can all think about times where, and, and again, it's easy to point to politicians where someone will say something to a large group, their mic is still hot, they go back behind the, the curtain and they say something completely opposite, right? That's the example of, I may have the talking points down, but I don't have the mindset down. So action logic is my action is based on my mindset or worldview. And so something like professional humility, I'm humble if I'm actually willing to learn, share credit, do those things that look like humble. So the example is professional humility. I care about getting it right ahead of being right. It's only true if that is actually how I feel. And then the behaviors show up so that I'm giving credit, I'm putting principle ahead of personal gain, I'm committed to the organization's best outcome rather than committed to looking good. And it's easy to say, but it's really hard to do because most of us care about our careers. We care about our professional reputation. So that idea to committed to looking good is kind of how we're wired and taught. So these are, are really much more difficult than they would seem on the surface. Yeah, definitely. And so to say today's business environment is is uncertain seems like, you know, the understatement of the century. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> how can training and development equip leaders with the tools they need to navigate these times of change? So one, uh, what you are doing at training industry, I think is so important right now, right? That we have a lot of leaders who were 
quite competent until 2020 until early 2020 right they they were successfully leading their organizations and then they're less successful because we're in the midst of a crisis and yet we're seeing some leaders really rise to the challenge and others are not and they're visibly not and, and so most leaders at this point in time can get back to successful but it means one, the training comes in, I have to understand what the next level of leadership looks like, something like this model. And there are other models, so I'm not saying we have the answer to the world's, you know, world hunger or something. But this model is one of the highly researched and proven approaches. So I need to understand what it is, I need to build the skills, and I need to change the mindset, the underlying mindset. So it comes in uh, traditional training, understand what it is, the practices with building skills that come from both training, coaching, and mentoring, and then the changing of attitudes, which again comes from training, coaching, and mentoring, and things like listening to podcasts, right, that I continue to listen, and that starts to change my mindset as I listen to people who are well-respected in their fields saying this is what needs to be different. So kind of along those lines, there's things are changing every day. I mean, uh, yeah. just, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just are. That's the reality. It's the reality is, is changed now. What tips do you have for people on how to respond and stay agile when you really don't know what's going to happen when you wake up tomorrow? Yeah, you know, I feel like I, I am um, continuing to repeat myself, but, but going back to those competencies, and it is about changing how I see the world. So if I see that I, as the leader, have to go into the office uh, virtually, go into the Zoom room and have the answers, I am going to be less effective than if I can change my mindset to and one of my clients said this, I've never led through a pandemic before. This is new to me. I need to let myself off the hook that I have to have the answers and I have to change how I interact with my people. So it's both changing the behaviors, things like collaborating, and also focusing on raising the level of making sure people have that uh, human connection, that they feel supported because people are fundamentally, emotionally dealing with depression, dealing with fear, and we need to rebuild that sense of hope. And it is through those kinds of behaviors that leaders and their teams are able to be agile. If I think about the, the basic Maslow pyramid, if I think I'm going to die, I'm not going to be very effective. So I, as the leader, have to help people move back up that pyramid, know that they have a job, right? So for the next two months, we're not going to lay anyone off because we have the paycheck protection program. So, so for two months, you've got freedom to focus on doing the work. And our goal is to stabilize the organization and make sure we have a path forward. So, so it's uh, broadly ranged, but it really does focus on, I think, helping the leader themselves and the organization emotionally stabilize, the company financially stabilize, and then look to how do we build to ensure that we 
are in business, right? Because a failure at this point, not only I lose my job, but all the employees who count on me lose their incomes up and down the supply chain. So our customers don't have the things we need. In some cases, those are life-saving things, right? Food, medicine, toilet paper. Um, I might not die if I don't have it, but I will certainly be less comfortable. And then all of our suppliers who provide us everything from raw materials to services who are also trying to feed their families. So it really does, and if they go out of business, then everyone they supply is impacted. So, so again, expanding our thinking helps us understand how we need to pivot to increase the probability of our success. Because really a lot of people are counting on each of us to show up and do our best and be open to the fact that we're not gonna get it right. We're gonna be directionally correct. And that's as good as it can get right now. They're high stakes and great advice. I was wondering if you could speak to, uh, specifically to you know, a first time manager, maybe someone who was promoted into a management role for the first time and then 2020 hit. Uh, is there anything specifically that you can, you can share with that person? So again, going back to the same list of competencies, it's going to be different for Dr. Fauci, who's what, 60s or 70s? He's got these skills down, we hope. If I'm 25 or 30, I'm going to be new at learning to collaborate and having that mindset. Frankly, for some of our new leaders, because they're younger and they grew up in a different era, they're going to be better at some of this. Right? So, so folks in their 20s may be better at collaborating. They may be better at uh, humility because they haven't built big egos yet in some cases. But they may not be as competent as a 360-degree thinker because they haven't seen 70 years of stuff. They've seen 20 years of stuff. So we actually have a free assessment that people can just uh, click on it, see where you are, where you think you need to be, and focus on developing the areas that you think will have the biggest impact on your ability to be successful. But one that I think is so important is this idea of being a good human being, the authentic and the inspiring followership. If I'm kind and caring and genuinely committed to my people's success and my organization and my client's success, then I can make a lot of mistakes and I get forgiven. If I'm a jerk and I'm only worried about myself, uh, there, there should not be much um, grace extended to me because I haven't extended it to others. That's so true anytime, but I think we're especially seeing the truth of that now. For sure. And I think we've established for the most part that purse strings are tight right now. I mean, learning leaders more than ever have to showcase their ROI to their organization. Um, Mm -hmm. Going off of that, what would you say is the bottom line benefit of crisis leadership training? So, So one thing I would say is we're moving from individual coaching and development to group coaching and development. So I think there, there is a way to address the tight economics and still get the ROI. So, so uh, let's do a compare and contrast. Imagine, and it doesn't take much imagining to look in the news and see CEOs and executives getting fired for 
ineffective management. In fact, reading about what happened in Lebanon and, and they're now looking for their third government leadership in a year because of the crises that have happened. Imagine the cost of having no senior executive government officials during the midst of a crisis, after they've just had a big explosion and what, like half of the city of Beirut is not able to return to their homes and the government leaders are resigning because they're ill-equipped. There's a huge cost to everyone when leaders are ill-equipped. So I think the ROI, we need to do it efficiently to build competent leaders. The ROI for not doing it is the probability of making it through this kind of disruption with your organization as intact as it could be is low. The probability goes, there is no guarantee, but having the right leadership in place right now dramatically increases the probability of the organization's success. It's funny, I keep thinking about uh, all the case studies that are going to come out of this period in time for business schools and, and training organizations. Do you, can you think of an example that you can share, at least from what we know now at this period of time, mm-hmm. of a, a great example of leadership um, in 2020? So the one that, again, we see so often in the media is Dr. Fauci, who was just on the cover of GQ or something. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the reason I say that is he appears, and I don't know him personally, so from, from as an extrovert, he seems to make his decisions based on facts and data. He seems to refine his direction. So we've... I, you know, we hear the criticism of he was wrong here, he was wrong here, he was wrong here. But he, he takes the latest data, he offers a recommendation, it's tested, we learn more, that's tested. I and mean, we're learning from autopsies at this point. So, so we couldn't have learned that information until people died. So in March, we didn't have the information we have in August. And we don't have the information now that we'll have in December. Hopefully, you know, we're learning things about how people respond to treatments. And as we go along, the directions about what we need to do as a society are changing. So we didn't know about as much about masks uh, three months ago or six months ago. And we as citizens weren't required to wear masks because they were preserved for medical professionals. We needed to make sure people in hospitals had masks before I going to the grocery store had a mask, right? And so over time, we're seeing the information evolve, the guidance evolve. So what I see from him is a commitment to right action. We're committed to saving lives, large picture thinker, intellectually versatile. He's pulling from the science around the world, not just American scientists or people we like scientists. This is really a global issue and the global medical community all need to to pull together to to save lives from around the world. We're at uh, 760 million people dead today. So the kinds of things where, where the people we look to are willing to put the best interest of the best number of people ahead of 
my institution got it first or I make more profit. I mean, we all want to make profit. Got that. But this is about both first and foremost, solving the biggest problem we're facing in 2020. Second, solving, slicing the pie on who gets most money from the vaccine. But first and foremost, how do we do these things? And so that, that one about who do I collaborate with? I collaborate with the people who have the answers first. Mm. Yeah, that was a great example, example of leadership for sure. It actually reminded me of that, that Maya Angelou quote, do the best you can until you know better than when you know better, do better. So I think a lot of us are feeling that way right now. Extending the grace to people that the work we each do right now is important. None of us are, are able to get off the hook because we lead families, communities, organizations, and what we do matters and how we treat each other matters more than ever. Mm, for sure. Do you have any other key takeaways you'd like to leave us with today? Just in really encouraging people to continue in this kind of time, it's easy to want to step back and let it unfold instead of stepping in and really focusing on using this opportunity to pick the thing I care about most and really trying to move the needle on that. So as much as the, we're seeing people dying, we're seeing losing sports, uh, you know, any number of things we're losing, we are also having amazing opportunities. So healthcare, the telemedicine, now healthcare is available to people who geographically may not have had access. Education may be available differently to people who had different access. What is the thing that each of us can help move the needle and make the world better because of the pandemic rather than just being a victim of what we're losing? That's a great point to end with. Thank you. Um, and that wraps up this episode of The Business of Learning. Maureen, thanks so much for, for joining us and speaking with us today. Thank you both. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to your listeners. For more leadership insights, check out the show notes for this episode at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.